Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast presented by Freedom Life Church. We hope you find today's message uplifting and encouraging as we dive into God's Word together. If you need any information about our church or this message, please go to wearefreedomlife.com. Now let's get right into it. A man took a vacation to Israel with his wife and mother-in-law. During that time at the Holy Land, his mother-in-law unexpectedly passed away. The following day, the husband met with the local undertaker to discuss the funeral plans. In cases like these, there are a couple of options to choose from, the undertaker explained. You can ship the body home, be about $5,000, or you could choose to bury her in the Holy Land for just $150. The man took a minute to think about it, and he said, announced, ship her home. The undertaker, intrigued by the decision, said, that was a very quick decision and an interesting choice. Can I ask you why you paid the $5,000 to ship your mother-in-law home? Couldn't you easily have buried her for $150? The man promptly said, about 2,000 years ago, a man died and was buried here. Three days later, he rose from the dead. I cannot take that chance. I I couldn't resist. I had to open with that story. But it shares the fact that many people are aware of the power of the resurrection, and I've heard stories and stories. The fact that Jesus rose again is more than just a story. How many recognize that? The fact that he rose again is more than just a fad or a trend or a statement. He rose again for you and for me, and to restore the glory that was deserved to the Father. Yes? How many are grateful for this Sunday morning, this Resurrection Sunday morning? More than just a story it was, and more than a significant event, it was life-altering, history-altering, And the best part is that we know the confidence that we have in believers that it's not by my strength, but by the strength that he exuded on that day when he went through what he went through for you and for me. You see, last week we took a really good, strong look at John chapter 18. And for those of you that were not here, you can always go back and listen to it, watch it, whatever suits uh, your, uh, your moment, but... I need us to understand something. As we welcome you here to this service, I need you to understand that there are many people that walked into this room with different expectations, different thoughts of where they were, different thoughts of where they are. And I want you to recognize something. I need you to recognize that last week when we talked about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of culture, how many realize that we're fighting a very real culture today? that has an idea that they want you to believe, a thought they want you to carry, and a belief system they need you to try to hold on to. But the fact is, if it's not in the word of God, how many believe it doesn't belong in us either? If it's not in the word of God, it doesn't belong in any of us. And so this week we'll be focusing by way of really on on the one really big verse, but the kingdom of expectations, as I bring this message, simply entitled, What Are You Expecting? What are you expecting? You see, when the Israelites were exiled in Babylon, and when their homeland was occupied by a foreign power, they leaned on their faith and hope and comfort that God would deliver them. Same way some of us live our lives in faith and hope and comfort that God will deliver you. So many of us have expectations just like they had expectations in the Old Testament, just like they had expectations in the New Testament of how the Messiah would come. We all come into this room or stream online or listen online. We all have expectations of what God would do for us. Is that true? 
I think most of us have an idea of what they think God should do for us. Most of us will look at our lives and go, I think God should do this, and I think God should do that. And so I ask you, what are your expectations, or what are you expecting? So when we look at the Messiah, how many realize that when you read the New Testament, you realize that some people kind of had a different idea how Jesus would be coming? In this case, let me say it more like this. Many had a different expectation of what they thought the Messiah would come like. Right? They thought that he would come and he would deliver them from Rome, that he would be this, this strong arm. And this, but he was strong in a different way. Their expectations had a lot to do with whether they accepted him or not. And so I ask you this morning this question. What do you expect from the Messiah this morning? What do you expect from the Messiah this morning? I want to search the scriptures. I want to search the scriptures, three specific scriptures that I want to share, and then we'll focus on one. Is that all right? Because what I want to do here on this Easter morning, see, we could talk about the empty tomb, but if you understand something, there was a lot of expectations leading to the tomb. So, so let's understand, before we get to the tomb, we have to understand what are we expecting from God? What are we expecting from the Savior? What are we expecting when we say we are God followers, Christ followers? So allow me just a few moments to kind of lay the table. I kind of, I kind of want to set the table. Just imagine with me, if you would, a table, a really, really nice table. And I'm just going to start putting pieces down on this table. I'm going to go around the table a little bit and lay some pieces down so that at the end we can then understand what it is that we're doing. Are you following me? So allow me to set the table here for a few moments as we look at this. Because here's what I understand, and this is what I need us all to understand here this morning. The kingdom of God is about peace, prosperity, and revival. Say this with me. Peace, prosperity, and revival. Now listen, before you get in, or like ingrained into the word prosperity, Understand what I'm saying. God wants to bless you, but that doesn't all mean money. Though some of you are like, but if that happens to happen, I'm not going to fight him on that. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But, but God wants you to prosper in your soul as well, prosper in your spirit as well. So allow me for a few moments. I want to break down these three things, and then we're gonna, I'm going to go around the table. You ready? Number one. That as we follow Jesus, we have to understand that God has intention for his people to have peace. Everybody say peace. Peace. Peace is God's idea. Peace is deranged and it comes from God himself. See, man can't give you peace because man can't uh, coordinate that well. We just, we're not built to have, we're built to want peace, but we don't know where to get it. But our source of peace comes from God. So the first thought is peace. And so if you would, I have a passage here I want to share with you. Uh, the media team will help me. Isaiah chapter 11. And in Isaiah chapter 11, it says this, verse 11 and 12. It says, In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise, when I listen closely, he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The people that were wrecked are going to be gathered by God and brought peace again. How many realize that we're living in, look at me, everyone. You realize that we're living in an America now that doesn't look like an America was a year or two years ago. The America that we're living in today has lost peace. It's lost peace because it's lost its focus on who it is that gives us the peace. 
So I need us to understand something. Before we get to an empty tomb, we have to understand that we have a piece available and this is assembled and put together by God himself. His plan is for us to receive that peace from all four corners of the earth. God wants to draw his people to himself and he wants to grant them peace. The prophet Isaiah spoke of a time when the Lord would gather his people and he would give them peace and justice. Now listen, when the Lord's justice comes, it will be established on earth as it is in heaven. See, God wants to mirror heaven on earth but we don't want earth to look like heaven. Some of us say, why would that be the case? Because it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us changing how we live. It's going to change how we, how we interact with our neighbor. When we love our neighbor as ourselves, you know what's happening? Heaven is becoming more real on earth. When you love God on this earth, you know what's happening? Heaven is becoming more real on earth. When a, In a room like this, when people are worshiping and you feel like, man, I really want to worship all of a sudden. It's that, that, that joint community. Why? Because positive heaven vibes, come on somebody, that's the presence of God. Secular people will say positive vibes. Good vibes to you today. Good vibes to you. That, you know what God says? My presence. His peace. His peace, his presence. And so what we look at when we want those positive vibes, what we're really asking for is we need your presence in our lives. And so we look at the king of kings, not just as the king of kings, but the king of kingdoms. And so... God is saying, I want peace and justice. Do you want peace and justice? Because it's only found in me. So I need us to understand that. Are you coming to God expecting peace? Because some of us talk like we ain't ever going to get it. We talk so negatively about ourselves or our situations. It's very hard for God to bring Positive vibes. When you yourself are causing this ruckus in your life and, 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 and mayhem in your spirit. Instead of saying, God, I trust you today. No matter what happens to me, I know who is in me. Are you with me? So everybody say peace. peace. The second thought is simply this. Prosperity. Everybody say prosperity. Now, Jeremiah 23, 3 says, I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and will bring them back to their fold and they shall be, watch this, fruitful and multiply. You know what that means? Prosperity. God wants to bless you, but we often think that blessings only come in monetary form. Blessing means that check in the mail you didn't expect. And while God does that, that's not the only way God wants you to prosper. In fact, for some people, the best thing he could do is not answer your prayer. Oh, my goodness. You did not just say that, Pastor Tony. I'm not going to this church no more. You telling me God don't want to answer my prayer? I'm saying to you the best thing he could ever do is not answer some of your prayers because some of your prayers are so human and self-centered has nothing to do with God. And God says, I love you too much to answer that prayer. That's a hard one to preach, but I'm going to preach that on Easter Sunday. I'm going to tell you that because some of y'all need to hear that. Some of you blame God for things not happening. God's like, you're welcome. And you're like, Did you miss what I said? Hello, God. But God is like, no, no, no. I want you to be fruitful. That's why right now I'm saying no. Right now I'm saying no to your prayer. God answers every prayer. Yes, and sometimes he answers no. No. Sometimes it's wait. 
How many like the wait one better than no? Anybody? Because you're like, at least I have a chance. <laughs> Some of us don't even like wait either, but that's okay. I understand that. We've all been there. But he wants us to prosper. And what that means is he wants us to be fruitful and multiply. Anybody know about what we've been talking about fruit the last couple months, right? We've been talking about fruit all last month. And we've been talking about how God wants to bless you and God wants to. And sometimes it's cutting back things in your life so that you can be fruitful. So here we see the Lord again gathering his people. How many know that God doesn't want you to be scatterbrained and scattered all across? He wants you to be together, be fruitful, multiply. Guess what? Guess what he doesn't want to multiply? Those things that are outside of his will. But what he does want to multiply is the things and the people that are inside of his will. And every, most of us in this room will probably say to ourselves, I really, really, really want to be in the middle of God's will. So I tell you today that as we, as we approach this empty tomb, I need us to understand that, that there's prosperity in, on the horizon. And so the Lord will gather his people and restore them and bring them. How many know that restoring sometimes is a little more beautiful than the original? You can, buy, you can see a brand new car. It's really nice. But when that car gets into a wreck and you see it wrecked, but then you take it somewhere and somebody restores it and they bring it back out. And you're like, wow. You know that's what God did with you? When you were wrecked and broken and he changed you and he saved you and he picked you up and cleansed you and turned you around and put you on solid ground. Come on, somebody. He stood back and said, wow, look at my handiwork. And some of you are like, yeah, you didn't do too bad, God. But you look at your life and you go, if you would have seen me, before, how many would be honest with yourselves right now and everybody in the room? If you would have known me before you know me, you wouldn't want to know me. Come on, somebody. Don't say that three times. You could mess it all up. If you had known me before you know me, you wouldn't want to know me. We've all been there. Because God picked you up and he put you in a new place. He, he prospered you. He caused you to realize that there is more to life and more to his presence and more to him. Listen, before we get to the tomb, we have to realize that there were some things he had to work out of the disciples. That's why he spent the three and a half years with them. You feel what I'm saying? Like God wanted to work with them and and iron some things out of them and he had to do some, some more than others, some more than others. He had to iron out some things. But I need us to understand something that not only does God want to give you peace, everybody say peace, peace. Prosperity. prosperity. He also wants to give you revival. Okay, so for the believer, revival means when pastor invites a speaker and they come and they say something really good. And then everybody feels it, and they run to the altar. That's a real shallow view of what revival is, okay? That's what, what believers sometimes think. Revival for the world, the rest of them are going, I don't know what that means. Does that mean I go to the beach and feel better? Okay, some of you are like, I like both of those things. But can I tell you something that neither of those are completely accurate? You know what revival really is? Revival, when you start to understand your purpose inside of his will. And the only way we often find that purpose is through genuine repentance and turning to God. That's the only way we truly find revival. Like we're going to have revival services here in, in, in some weeks, right? We're going to have revival services. All that is, listen to me, all that is is opportunity. Revival only happens if you pray and you believe and you seek. If you ask, if you seek, if you knock. You with me? If you do those things, then revival can happen. Revival doesn't happen because you got a great speaker. Revival happens when the people listen to the speaker and do something about it. And so it doesn't even have to be a speaker. 
In fact, for the Ashbury revivals that we had just, was it Ashbury, right? Was that Asbury, Asbury revivals that just had taken place. Um, the speaker that was there right before the revival broke out, he actually, when he was on his way home, he actually phoned a friend or contacted a family member or somebody said, I just bombed the worst message of my life. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but basically he was saying, this was a rough one, man. This is one to forget. So then what happens? Revival breaks out. Why? Because it's not about man. And revival is not about the goosebumps. Revival's not about the feelings I feel because I can give you goosebumps. I turn the AC up and I can get you goosebumps. I can do that. I can do that. We can manufacture that. I got I got chills in the back of my... Yeah, that's just the air conditioning. That's just blowing. But true revival happens when you realize God and God alone is the author and perfecter of our faith. Look at me. Look at me. I need you to hear me because some of you think that this somehow there's a shallow view of what revival is. God wants to watch right here in Hosea chapter three, verse five. Watch this. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord, their God and David, their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. You know why something happened among the people? Because the people sought the Lord. Some of us want revival just by someone spoon feeding us. In other words, bring the best speaker, have the best worship team, and that's what's going to spark a revival. You can have the best speaker and a great worship team. You could charge $20 at the door and call it a concert. It does not matter whether it's charge or no charge, worship team or no worship team, speaker or no speaker, dynamic or not dynamic. How many know that God is sovereign and when people start to give their lives to God, that's what matters? Yeah. So again, we see the Lord gathering his people. And so if you look at all three of these texts, God is gathering his people. Why am I saying that? I'm saying that because of this. Some of you think that you can do revival on your own. And you know what? I believe God can touch you on your own. But something happens in the, in the synergy that is created in a room like this where people are all together saying, I want Jesus. Do you want Jesus? You want Jesus? Okay, let's do this. Something happens, if you would, when you start gathering people together. So if I call a friend up here and then, and another friend here, all of a sudden, if, I, if I'm praying and then I start slowing down, that person keeps praying. I'm like, oh, I got to keep praying. And that synergy happens. Why? We encourage and we build each other up so we can see God do something. But God does not not ever try to push people away from each other. He's actually always trying to gather his people because we are feeble. We are broken and imperfect. And so we are also influenced by our surroundings. And so that much more, it is an important for us to have that much more of a reason. It's more important to have people around us that believe like we do. That doesn't mean those are the only people I have around me. But, but believe you me, that when I start to have people around me that believe like I do, or believe like I should, great things start happening in our lives. And so, when we look at this in light of Resurrection Sunday, some of you may be going, what does that have to do with an empty tomb? Oh, it has everything to do with an empty tomb. Because for three and a half years, these people walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, watched him heal people. He watched him save people, feed people. Have you ever tried to feed 5,000 people? <laughs> with a kid's school lunch? <laughs> hey, Billy, can I get that school lunch real quick? We're going to feed 5,000 people with it. Kid's like... I barely got enough apple for me. There was no apple. That was not in the scripture, by the way. But I, got, I barely got enough fish for me, enough bread for me. What do you mean? No, trust me. Anything in the hand of God can multiply. And that's what we're talking about. 
prosperity, how anything in God's hand can change. The problem is we're not looking at God's hand. We're looking at our own hands. And because we're looking at our own hands, we see the limitations. How many ever looked at your own life and you said, I'm not good enough to do that? Be honest. Raise your hand if you thought to yourself, there's something I want to do, but I'm not good. Raise your hand real high, real high, real high. Like you mean it. Come on, like, like Pentecostals. Come on, let's hold it high. Amen. A lot of great things happening over here. Okay, so hold it up high. No, hold it up for a second. Hold it up. Look around the room. You're not the only one to ever feel inferior. But I'm here to tell you that God's favor is always upon his people, no matter whether you feel qualified or not. So watch this. This promise of spiritual revival, when the people turn to the Lord and seek his guidance, we desire to prosper, to be protected and be provided for. So watch this. When we look at the promises and we look at the Old Testament, the people of Israel looked at the Old Testament. They said to themselves, okay, the Messiah is going to come. And when he comes, he's probably going to be a political leader. Yes. He's going to be a political leader. And a political leader, he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel and lead the people back to the promised land. You with me? So there's, there's, three, there's three main things that people thought he was going to be. So the first one was a political leader, right? They thought he was going to be a political leader. And so um, follow me, media team. The political leader would restore the kingdom, right? It would restore the kingdom. And then we got the second type of person that a lot of people thought that Jesus or rather the Messiah would be. They said they thought he was going to be a battle-ready warrior, right? They thought he was going to come. He wasn't going to arrive in a donkey. He was going to arrive in a horse, a really strong-looking horse with a big flaming shield, a sword and shield. He's going to come and he's going to be battle-ready and he's going to he's going to be the one who led the people in battle and bring justice and righteousness. Back to the earth. And when that didn't happen, they were like, uh, what happened? And then they thought to themselves, well, then maybe he's just going to be a spiritual leader who would bring revival to the people. Guess what? Revival didn't necessarily happen. You know what he did? He prepped them for the revival that would come. So some of us think God's going to do something and, and, and we don't realize he's prepping you for the next thing. We want everything to happen at once. Right? How many ever asked God for something and it didn't happen? You were like, that's not the way I thought it was going to work out. Right? So we think to ourselves, I want God to do this and he didn't. And so we think either he messed up or I am not good enough. Can I tell you something? There's a chance that it might not be either of those. Maybe he's preparing you today for what he's going to do tomorrow. Because your time is not his time. We want our will to be his will. Great. Fine, but our time is not his time. And so when he came as a spiritual leader, he did. He came as a spiritual leader, but the things that he said wasn't preparing them for now. It was preparing them for later. And some of the things he said was preparing them for the upper room. It was preparing them for the garden. The garden where, you know, all the disciples are supposed to be praying and what are they doing? Napping. There's nothing wrong with a good holy nap, but not when Jesus said pray, right? How many believe there's such thing as a holy nap? I'm going to get some people on my side. I just want you to get on my side real quick. Some of y'all believe in a holy nap, some of you. Some of you are like, what's that? I got little kids. I don't know what you're talking about. I understand that. But, but if you believe in a holy nap, how many know when Jesus said pray, that's not the time to take your holy nap? Like, Jesus, I was, just, I was just really looking at the scriptures through my uh, closed eyes because I want to have eyes in the spirit. <laughs> That's the worst comeback line ever. Don't use it. It's not going to work. That's not, what, that's not what, what God is looking for. He's looking for people to pray when he says pray. Go when he says go. Stand when he says stand. Believe when he says believe. 
Needless to say, their expectations were shot down. Because he didn't come the way they expected him to come. So I ask you again, what are you expecting? See, that empty tomb represented that day when they went to that tomb and he wasn't there. Everything he said culminated to that moment. Because there, now, all of a sudden, everything that needed to be done was done. Did you realize that? The sacrifice, the beating that he took, the blood that was spilled, done. Hanging on the cross, being a spectacle. Stuff that Isaiah 53 prophesied about. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. The stripes, that's not after death, that's before death. Then he was uh, laid in a buried, uh, buried in, a, in a borrowed tomb. He didn't even own a tomb. It was borrowed. It's okay, I'm going to get right back. I'm not going to be there very long. <laughs> Come on, somebody, that's a breach right there. That's a breach. <laughs> I'm going to just borrow it for a couple days. I'm going to give it back because I won't be there no more. He rose again. In the natural, Jesus was nothing like they thought the Messiah would be, but everything they needed. Is there a chance that Jesus today for you, he's everything you ever wanted and nothing you ever expected? Is there a possibility that he's everything you've ever dreamed about, but nothing you thought he would be? Is there a chance? What are you expecting today? You see, he fulfilled all the necessary qualifications, but not the way they wanted. His kingdom was of another, another kind. His kingdom and teaching didn't look or sound like anything else they thought there would be. John 18, 36 records this. Watch this. John 18, 36 says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus was making it very clear. What I'm fighting for, you have no idea. I'm from another place. This passage caused much confusion over the years because it seems to be a contradiction. So if you allow me, on one hand, Jesus is the king of a kingdom, yet on the other hand, he says he's a kingdom not of this world. Well, what are you? Are you king or are you not? And that's how come they wanted to ask him, are you king or are you not? So how can Jesus be a king of a kingdom that is not of this world. Where is this world? Why aren't his servants fighting? Well, he made it very clear because this is not what I'm, this is not the end game. The end game is the cross that leads me to the grave, that leads me to rise again on the third day. And for every one of us, thank God he went that route. Amen? Thank God he went that route. The first thing to note here is that Jesus is in fact very much king of all kingdoms. And in this context of a larger passage. So if you would, Pilate asked a straightforward question and Jesus answered clearly. Jesus is the king, but whose kingdom is not of this world? So he says, I'm a king, but this is not, not a king like you understand a king. And Pilate seemed to have no question in his mind that Jesus was speaking truth and then he was innocent. He tried to let Jesus off, but there was a lot of things going against him. And so Pilate had to make his decision. We talked about this last week, right? Pilate kind of had to make his decision. Do I go with the people or do I go with Rome or what do I do here? Well, you know, he decided to save his own tail and, and give Jesus up and let go of a actual criminal and brought 
the criminal penalty upon Jesus. Pilate chose to ignore it and sentence him to death. You know what's a tragedy about this? It's a tragedy when we fail to recognize the truth, but it's even a worse tragedy when we recognize the truth but fail to act on it. It's a tragedy when we know the truth, right? When we, or, we, or rather, we fail to recognize it. We may know it, but we fail to recognize it. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to go that route. That's one tragedy right there because you can't admit truth. But it's worse when you admit the truth, but you choose not to act on it. That's a true tragedy. And Pilate did that that day. And you know who also did that? <laughs> the disciples that ran. They all scattered because we often run the path of least resistance. And I'm looking at a, a crowd of people this morning, a beautiful crowd on this Easter. Some of y'all brought your Easter best. Very nice. I'm looking about a crowd of people here today. And what I'm going to ask you this question is simply this. Are you willing to act on the truth that you recognize? Because that right there is what matters in the kingdom of God. If you recognize him being the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, are you willing to act on it? Failure to act on it is a, is a, is a further tragedy than just merely understanding it or choosing not to acknowledge it. The reason that we as a nation are in trouble is because we have ignored much of God's kingdom and what it's about. God's kingdom is not of this world, but he does influence it. Are you with me? Some of you are saying, I'm not of this world, so I'm not going to bother with this. I'm not going to bother with politics. I'm not going to bother with voting. I'm not going to bother. Can I tell you something? He left us in charge of this world until he gets us back, and we got to take care of it. We got to stand for truth. We got to stand for what's right. And I'm telling you today that the reason that we as a nation are in trouble is because we have been so focused on the other place that we forget where we're standing. And I think God wants us to revert back to understanding that what he has given you charge over on this earth is very important. Amen. This is why Jesus said it's not an earthly kingdom, but a spiritual one. This is why he said it's a kingdom of faith, hope, and love, a kingdom of justice and mercy. It's a kingdom where everyone is welcome regardless of their past. How many know you're glad to be at a church right now where regardless of your past, you are welcome. Come on, you belong here. You are welcome. Now, that being said, just because you have a past, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to help you to, to be a better person because of it or uh, wherever you are in your, in your belief system. Just because you believe a certain way when you walk in here doesn't mean he wants you to stay that way. He loves you too much to keep you the way you are. He wants to shape you in the more of the, of the promise that he has for your life. And so he loves you too much to keep you the way you are. But you are still welcome in the household of faith. Amen? Because that's the way God is, and there, oftentimes we looked at the we looked at the uh, New Testament, and we looked upon how people were treated. Did you know how lepers were treated? How they weren't even allowed in the same room with normal people, and they were put aside. They were actually you can listen to it, but just you got to be on the other side of this wall, far away. And there were parameters that they're supposed to be in. In fact, they couldn't walk into a room within even a certain number of feet from anyone that was quote normal. And so there was this kind of outcasting that was naturally built into their society, and that's not too far from what we see here today in our American culture. What we have to realize is that God is. God is reaching out to people and saving people of all walks of life. And he's let him clean the fish. My job is to just catch them. Come on, somebody. My job is to tell people about Jesus. I'm not supposed to clean them. Listen, I'm not supposed to sit here just clean you. Like, I'll let God clean you. I just want to tell you that there's hope. I want to give you hope because there's a king and his name is Jesus. There's a judge and his name is Jesus. There's a God that loves you and he, and he sent his son and his name is 
And that's what we're talking about. So allow me, if you would, if I'm being honest, I don't believe there is a single person on this planet, let alone this room, that has never had a misguided interpretation of what God is, quote, supposed to do at this moment. There's not a single one of us that, that we weren't misguided. We've all had moments where we expected something from God that wasn't accurate. We've all had it. And then we go back and we go, man, I missed that one. How do I, how do I recover? You know how you recover? You say, God, forgive me and let me be more like your son. I want to hear from the father. And you move forward. But dwelling on it, what good does that do? But asking God, help me at this moment. And maybe there's somebody in this room that has said, God, help me at this moment. And so if you would, just bow your head to me for a moment all across this room. I'm going to have the worship team come. And just, Caleb, would you play something? With your eyes closed, your head bowed for just a moment, just a moment right now. Just, I need us to understand something. I need us to understand that there is not a single person at the sound of my voice where you have come before God 100% of the time and always got it right. We've all messed up. We've all fallen short. And there were some who eventually recognized it, but maybe there's somebody in this room that you just have a different situation. You didn't know how, how to approach God. And on this Easter morning, I got to ask you this question. What are you expecting from God? Because when they ran to the tomb on that resurrection morning, they were shocked that the tomb was empty. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, they forgot all the words that Jesus taught them. All the promises he had for them. Max Locato writes in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, he was told of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in this remote part of the jungle. They lived in this large river. Look up at me for a moment. The tribe was in need of medical attention. He knew it. He knew that they had sicknesses and things that he could not help them with right there. And this contagious disease was ravaging the population. People were dying daily. So he had to act quickly. So what did he do? He rallied everybody and and he knew that the hospital was not too far away. But it had to cross a river and by the the Indians themselves of that particular tribe would not cross it because they believed that the river inhabited evil spirits in that river. And so in order to enter, in order to get to the hospital, they had to cross the river, but they would never cross the river because they believed that there were spirits in the water. And so the only way he could convince them is that he got into the water. He said, look, look. And he began to splash himself. He said, it's fine, it's fine. Come, come. They didn't believe it. So he got deeper into the water, more toward the middle. And he's dipping his head in the water, coming back up. He's saying, look, I'm okay, come. And even in their own native tongue, come, come. They wouldn't do it. So he said, you know what, the only way. He, he completely got into the water, swam all the way across, got to the other side, got out, waved his hands, and he started telling them in their own native tongue, come, come, it's safe. At that moment, they all looked at each other, cheered, and ran through the river. Many of them, most of them, got to the hospital, got the care that they needed. And this missionary was single-handedly responsible for saving this village that would otherwise have died. Died in their sickness because they lived in fear of getting to that hospital because of something that they had been, that had been planted in their mind about that river and I'm here to tell you right here right now look at me every eyeball right here I need you to understand something that Jesus himself took upon himself the cross the cross and the penalty of all of that and he came out on the other side saying come it's safe you can come now that's 
what Jesus did for you. Three days later, he rose again so that you would have life abundantly. He is the living Savior and he is our living hope. So today in this room, if you're in this room, you're saying, Pastor Tony, I don't really, I can't say that I have a relationship with God. With everyone standing to their feet, if you're able to stand to your feet, stand to your feet for a moment. I'm going to close in just a moment, but I cannot and I will not close this service without asking you where you are in Jesus. Look at me. Everyone stay real still, real still, as, as still as possible. Look at me for a moment. What are you expecting from God? If you came here expecting to just be encouraged, I hope you're encouraged today. But if you're expecting for God to come and do something amazing in your life, you're in the right place. You're in the perfect place. Because that's exactly what I'm asking you. If you're here in this room, you're saying, I want to see God do something more in my life this, this year. I want to see God do something amazing in my life this year. I want to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords fill me with his spirit so that great things would take place in my life. But I don't know how to do that. Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm at the other side of the river saying, come. It's safe. And you can come to Jesus right here right now and say on this Easter 2023 I got my life straight with Jesus because I, I wasn't sure where I was before but now I do I want to get my life right with Jesus if that's you at your seat right now just put your hand up for three seconds and put it right back down one two three four five six seven eight oh too many to count all right I got about 15 to 20 hands raised right now. 15 to 20 hands of people that say, I'm not sure, but I want to get right with God. I want to get right with God. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? I want to get right with God. There's some things in my life I want to get right with God. If that's you, you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to take one step of faith further than just a hand and come meet me right here at this altar on this Easter morning. Come, come. There's people that are cheering you on right now. Come on. There's people that are cheering you on right now best decision you could ever make. Come, come, come. I want to, listen, I've known Jesus for a long time, but I want to get right because there's some things that just, come, come, come. I want to get right with God. I want to get right with God. How beautiful is this? Anybody else saying, I, I want to come. I want to stand with someone. I want to be with someone. But listen, I want to be who he called me to be. I can't get there the way that I'm going about it. And none of us can. None of us. Not a single person in this room can do it alone. That's how come God gathered his people. He gathered his people constantly, constantly. I'm gathering my people. I'm gathering my... Why? Because he's not about us doing this thing alone. That's how come he brings us a spouse. That's how come he builds us a family. He puts his family with us. And that's how come he has given his son. What more of a family business is that? You can't get more family business than that. Giving your only son, that's investment. Investment in you. And you know what the Bible, look at me before we pray. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he gave a Holy Spirit as a deposit. You know what that means? That what you're going through, he's like, I don't want to leave you by yourself. I want to put in you my Holy Spirit so that you can fight and pray and believe when everything else comes against you. I'm never leaving you because I'm already in you. So when you accept Jesus, what you're doing is you're saying, I want the Holy Spirit to be in my life. Anybody else want to come? I'm going to give you another moment. This is your chance. I don't want to fight this fight by myself. I'm going to give you another chance. Come. I saw some hands. Maybe you did. You would. I don't know if I want to go forward. I don't want people to know my business. Listen, people will know your business because every person will stand before God individually one day. And everyone's going to know your business. This is your chance right now. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? That's exciting when someone can say, I'm willing to come. Come, come. We'll wait for you, brother. We'll wait. Anybody else? 
Listen, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Come, come, come. Hallelujah. Come on, those of you at your seat, you got, you got some things lined up in your life perfectly, that's great. If you don't, that's all right too. Because there's people here that have said, I want Jesus to be magnified. What does that mean? I want him to be bigger in my life. I want to see him bigger. Do you know that when you put a magnifying glass above something, it doesn't make the object bigger? It just looks bigger. Right? We're not actually making the item bigger. We're just magnifying. That's what we want Jesus to be. We want him to, we want him to just be bigger to us at the moment. And some of us, we've just been seeing Jesus like this little thing because we're so far. What we want to do is we want to bring him closer. And so lifting up his name brings him closer to us. So today, right now, if you're at your seat, would you extend a hand to these wonderful people here? If you're here at this altar right now, just maybe just open your hands just for a second in and in a moment of surrender. Maybe just, and I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. For every person at this, at this altar right now, I want you to say this verbally and out loud, confessing it to Jesus alone, not to me or the person next to you. You're saying it to God. Here it is. Ready? Say, Jesus I give my heart, I give my life to you. I accept that you died for me. I believe that you died on the cross. I confess you as my Savior. You are my living hope. You are my Savior. We love you. We honor you. Forgive me of my sin. And teach me how to walk before you a servant a faithful servant in Jesus name Lord I thank you for every one of these people that have prayed this wonderful prayer I pray in the name of Jesus that in every one of their lives that you would manifest great power great change deliver them from the hand of the enemy deliver them from addictions deliver them from strongholds and fears deliver them from from all the things that the world has thrown on them like 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 they're not worthy like they're not they're not people of God like they're not worth anything but God would you give them their value their worth and show them that in your hand they are in there they, they are priceless in your hands God would you just reach out to them and touch them today in Jesus name hallelujah amen and amen hallelujah